arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Adolf Hitler, leader of Nazi Germany, is the man who has accomplished this revival. And Adolf Hitler takes the salute, his generals and girding behind him. It is not the manpower of the modern German army that impresses most, but the mechanical weapons of warfare with which it is now equipped. Squadrons of the latest fighting machines roar overhead in formation. And on land, the latest tanks also parade their sinister strength. In massed array, they wheel on the parade ground, presenting an impressive spectacle to the thousands of proud spectators. In this vivid camera impression of the great Nazi rally, you can judge for yourself the extent of German rearmament. The European armies of today present an awe-inspiring spectacle, but at the same time a singularly depressing one. For the world is rearming, and it almost seems as if the lessons of the World War were forgotten. Germany's weapons are the last word in scientific war material. Her air force is powerful and efficient, and her guns are equally modern. After the parade, the battle. A realistic mock engagement is staged, and every unit plays its part. Cavalry, artillery, infantry, tanks, and planes. It is not our place to express any particular view, but merely to draw attention to the facts as depicted in this film. It's evident that the Nazis are masters in the art of stagecraft. Perhaps the most striking feature of the whole party day rally is this flight formation of the Nazi emblem, the swastika, by Hitler's crack airmen. interesting these enlightening pictures of Germany's newly equipped army and the consequent revival of the military spirit which now apparently permeates the nation. It finds its fullest expression during the Nazi party day parade at Nuremberg where movie tones cameras record graphic studies of the grandiose military demonstration. listening to the 1938 Nazi rally in Nuremberg, Germany, which was in the back of my mind having studied the Third Reich in college. The hatred, the death, and the torture overlap Hitler's Germany with creods in the realm. The brutality of Sard is legendary within the realm. Here we have unabashed race hatred and genocide. Sard has a clever plan against the upper echelon so he can become the Vargenemnis. Sound familiar? I'm Robert P. Fitton, bringing you into the future, far across the galaxy. Episode 4 of Sojourn, The Bargat Emnis by Robert P. Fitton begins now. Chapter 61. Bocek could not contain his exuberance about Sard 
trapped within the Aragosta's jestic field. Within Roars, the former Vargat would be under his complete control, and he would demonstrate Sard's disloyalty. Sard was a destroyer of the realm, not a battlefield hero. He would be subject to humiliation and torture until he died. Barchak leaned against the spear and overlooking the bright clouds and the magenta skies. A magnificent sky, said Fron from behind. There's a sign for victory, he said, his matrix is still studying the thick cloud formations below. What news do you have to report, Frond? Tumeric's contact states the 4th and 5th agricultural Urkums have been placed in protective custody with his selvats. We must not have the food lines threatened by Sard's resistance. Resistance? asked Balchuk, his upper lip vibrated. Sard's allies have deserted him. He is a prisoner in his own Azekar, hardly in a position to be issuing resistance orders. Let the Creods mock and jeer him. Let him know the degradation. Every corner of the realm will witness the humiliation. We are still experiencing tactical and contact problems from Elkin and the outpost. Bochak turned from the window. Why is that? Ayak is below with the Selvits as they try and find the source of the problem. Then we will go below. I do not trust Sard. Fron followed Bochak from the room and quickly into the Thassian. Once inside the red filtered light, Bochak scanned his matrixes toward Fron. Sard is very clever. Surely you don't think he is behind this. With Sard, anything is possible. Disruption on the Osboard and every other frequency sent Barchak pacing around the room, but he quickly returned to the Rubicons, working on the contact problem. He raised his voice and through exposed fangs, shouted into the fram. Aragosta, this is Bochek. You will respond to our request for contact. There is an interference, Amnas, said the Rupakan. Outpost three, this is Bochek. Do you hear me? This is the upper echelon, priority contact. The fram crackled. Bochek left the room and veered toward the spear and overlooking the clouds at this lower level. Elkin should have heard any contact requests through the disruption. One of the Rubicons appeared in the doorway. Your orders, Emnus. My orders? My orders? I'll tell you my orders. Contact the Matus and tell Vargat Jarkar. I wish to speak with him immediately. Yes, Emnus. Bachak kicked the wall, and although he had no proof Sard was behind the problems, he chided himself for not allowing him to think. Sard was not capable of such deceit. He stared at the first Azars, piercing the darkening sky. As a member of the assembly, he first met Sard as a Proaska, and despite his hostility towards Sard, he followed each Mantari campaign with great scrutiny. Sard was capable of anything. Contact is established with Jakra, said the Rupingen from the doorway. Bachek left the span and stormed back to the inner room. Jackra! Emnus, the Rupercon said something about a problem with the Aragosta. Yes, there is a problem, Varget. The Aragosta is on a direct course to the home Urkham. 
and we cannot contact them because of some non-existent interference. I don't understand, Emnus. I am saying, Varget, I think Sard has constructed a plot against us. I do not believe he is in the Yestic Fields, and I think he is directing this diversion. I want the Matus in the Arnic to plot a course to intercept the Aragosta. The Aragosta will be searched and Sard transferred to the Matus. Wait! shouted Ayak. We have not voted as the Echelon. I concur, said Frond. You are dismissing the other members, Barchark. Do not challenge me, either of you. At least you find yourselves mere members of the Assembly. You must rely on Elkin's word as a Varget, said Frond. You, too, and your trusting attitudes. You fools, don't you sense that Sard is behind all this? Ayak stepped forward. Then what are you saying? Elkin and all the Vargets have conspired with Sard to overthrow the realm? You are the one who is a fool. If this interference was not here, I might not suspect. Sard's ability to persuade, cajole, and threaten is legendary. Why would all the Azakars not answer? You do not have the authority to issue orders of this magnitude, said Frond. Bachok's fangs remained exposed as he turned back to the Rupacon. Jakra, implement my order. Yes, Semnus. Course headings will be changed and we will be underway momentarily. What if Sard refuses? Kill him. Destroy the Aragosta. Do whatever it takes to protect the home Erkum. Chapter 62 Sard pushed his westick against the Mantari's ear and hacked off little pieces as the creature screamed. His fram sounded, but he ignored it and sliced the breathing protrusion below the eyes. Red saurine covered the inferior's face. You are inferior. You will be made to suffer for the transgressions of your forebears. The fram sounded again. He scanned the gathered selvets and the group of inferiors hanging in the yestics as he ripped the fram from his belt. Sard does not wish to be disturbed. Margaret Gammon, this is Roik. Roik, why don't you join us in toying with these inferiors? There has been a change on our tacticals. What change? Asked Sard, stepping back. What are you talking about, Roik? The Matus in the Arnic have left their patrolling berths about the home Merkham, and their headings indicate a direct course with the Aragosta. Sard moved into the corridor. Who ordered such an action? The Upper Echelon, Bauchek specifically. Bauchek. His fangs pushed outward as he growled. Let him show his meager strength. This is exactly the confrontation Sard desires. You will begin the coded sequence to the defensive outpost. Target the two incoming Azakars and the whole Merkum. The destruction will be complete, Margaret Gammon. No. Sard needs these Azakars intact for future campaigns against Tabun Shah. You will continue the deception with them in the Echelon, and not use his shooter reserves until he is backed into the mud dredges. Sard's upper lip vibrated as he studied the tacticals. 
With one order, he could remove the Azakars and their Selvits from existence. With an additional order, the defensive outposts could collapse the Echelon Towers below the clouds. Bargain Garmin, said Roik. Alcon is ready for contact with the incoming Azakars. Begin. Elkin stood in the icy center as Sarad leaned back in the station rester. The short of Vargat's matrixes heightened blue as contact began. Vargat's post and Jakra were on the forward Nakedum, standing on the Martusa's Icyon. Elkin spoke first. This is Elkin. We are at a loss as to why you are taking offensive positions against us. We have arrived. We're on direct orders from the upper echelon. Again, I am at a loss to understand. This Azakar is in complete compliance with Echelon directives. Then why is it we cannot contact you and the upper echelon's attempts are met with interference? Asked Posk. We have experienced problems since Serbon. The Echelon has ordered me to board the Aragosta. Said Jackra. Sarad leaped from the rester, but Roy held him back. We will not tolerate deception. Sarge shut down his matrixes and crushed the rester with his grasper. When he activated his matrixes again, Elkin stepped toward the forward Nakedum. There will be no boarding of the Aragoster. My orders are to bring Sard within the Yustic fields onto the Martus. He will be kept in restraint until he is presented to the upper echelon. Roik escorted Sard out of side ramp and entered the Thassian. Margaret Garmin, his remarks are traitorous. Let me kill him for you. With his matrixes frozen, Sard spoke in a steady but deliberate tone. Sard will not execute maneuvers to jeopardize this campaign. He is outflanked by both Azakars and now will give them what they want. You will prepare six of the Mantari prisoners, Roik. I do not understand, he said as they moved down the ramp. Sard waited until his emotions had subsided. You will have the Rubicons insert Arden enclosures for remote detonation into these inferiors. Two shuttle Azakars will leave for each Amperage Azakar. Each shuttle Azakar will carry three inferiors each. Contact with the Echelon will confirm that Sard has been brought upon the Martus. You will be brought aboard the Martus, Vargat Garmin. If I offer my opinion, Sard will listen. They will have you as a prisoner. We have outposts and control the shipping lanes. Just destroy the two Azakars with the outpost reserves. Sard reached a port but magnified the adjacent Nakedum to see both silver-clustered Azakars at angles to the Aragosta. Sard needs these two Azakars and does not wish to engage the Homercom directly. The first rule of victory is making your enemy believe what they wish to believe. Stepping inside the Yestic fields, even voluntarily, was not easy. Sard walked into the docking bays and Roik and several Selvets turned near the fields. Roik paid homage as he went by. We have prepared the fields for you, Vargat Garmin. Rise. I am hesitant to place you in the fields, Vargat Garmin, said Roik. Do not be. It is a part of the greater plan, Roik. It is necessary. You will take the realm and become the Vargademnus, supreme ruler of all that there is. At the very mention of your name, thousands will fall in servitude, 
And once you have that power, you will hunt down the remaining inferiors in the Tabun Shah. Sides matrices brighten. And you have earned your place next to Sard in that quest. He checked around the red disks along the wall and floor. It is time. Roik fell to his knees again as Sard moved onto the disks. He would be at Jakra's mercy, but the trick would eventually fool Jakra and the upper echelon. With a single nod, Roik stood and pushed the pad on his belt. Sard drifted slowly upward between the discs until he was suspended above the room. Were the feeling not so comfortable, he would forget he was restrained. Selvitz brought six inferiors into the bays. Roik smashed the blunt end of his westick against their heads. They filed into the room and he ordered them on the floor. A short time later, Alkin arrived, cloaked in red over his silver uniform. He focused his matrix light in Sard's direction. I hope this plan is accepted by Jakra and the Echelon. Sard is confident of his outcome. Roik's fram sounded. Yes. Jakra's Azakar has arrived in the portal. Very good. Send him down here. Sard closed his matrixes momentarily and visualized the direct alignment of the Urkums to the home system. They would welcome the Aragoster once Jakra convinced them the fields held Sard in place. A constant image of a sharp westick piercing Jakra's shell remained in Sard's thoughts. Outside beeps indicated Jakra's party had entered the base. Sard focused his matrixes on the outer opening. Elkin and Roik turned as a diminutive Jakra in full silver battle gear removed his dark helmet. With raised shooters aimed at Sard's selvets, Jakra's proascas and selvets followed him into the base. Sard wanted to squeeze Jakra's head with his own graspers. Jakra spoke to Elkin in a quick, annoying voice. Vargard Elkin, the circumstances do not convey the gravity of this situation. Sard is ready for transfer at your discretion. I appreciate, as does the Echelon, your cooperation in this delicate matter. And I accept the order of the upper Echelon. Elkin's ability to deceive Jakra, please, Sard. With the upper Echelon rests the authority of the realm. I have assembled six Mantari prisoners taken from the recent Al-Basharian campaign. Use them for your pleasure in both Azakars. A noble gesture, Vargat, said Jakra as he moved slowly towards Sard. Sard does not recognize your power. I would advise you, Vargat Garmin. Respect still abounds within the realm for what you have done in your campaigns. Every Creard, however, must be subservient to the wishes of the upper echelon, and I have my orders from the top. You, Sard, should understand that as a Vargat, you will be transported to the home Urkum. Sard shut down his matrix in order to gain control of his escalating rage. Jakra was a fool who failed to realize the stupidity of maintaining the upper echelon in power. The Aragosta will follow you to your home Urkum in standard formation, said Elkin. Yes, said Jakra. He drew his westick in motion to his own offices. Bring Vargat Sard and the Mantari prisoners on to the Martus. Jakra's selvets marched by Roik and took control. They lowered Sard but kept him inside the fields. Jakra approached with his westick. He placed the blade next to Sard's thick neck. With his anger, Sard feared he might attack Jakra and the others. 
We have always respected you, Sard, but you have directly challenged the realm and all its authority. You will suffer the fate of all criminals, those who would undermine authority. Sard vowed to be the instrument of Jackra's death. More selvits from the Matus appeared with the long black containment box used to isolate prisoners during interrogation. They suspended him above and opened the box. Jackra's tapering green face and blue mesh matrixes disappeared into the darkness as the Yestics formed. As they moved the containment box, Sard wondered if he had miscalculated. He had assumed Jackra would separate the Mantari prisoners onto both ships. His plan would fail without the inferiors on the Arnic. Without the threat of annihilation, the Arnic could alert the home Urkham. Would his blunder jeopardize any chance for him to seize power within the realm? Chapter 63 Loftus merged with the chattering herbals, heading down the tunnel into the Noma. For months, ever since Cabius invited him to the Noma, Loftus had become increasingly curious about the words of Tabun Shah. The cavern's white candle flames produced a warm glow across the scaly rocks and engendered an inexplicable ancient yearning. He believed it extraordinary that this community survived so far underground. They repeated worship practices from thousands of years in the past. His remaining with the herbals in the Noma was Cabius's idea, but his real goal involved escape and returning to fight the Tolton. Yet thoughts of the Taban Shah rulers and their mysterious unseen force gripped at his psyche. How could the contact and struggles with the Creods have been known to writers who lived so far in the past? Inside the sloping Noma cave, hundreds of herbals sat on semi-circular wood benches. The curved central marble altar, adorned in pristine crimson fabric and illuminated with hundreds of white candles, ascended over the gathering. The candle heat, according to the Eskas, rose up the shaft, drawing the outside air back into the mine. Behind the altar, the towering scales, two clear globes, were filled with swirling colored water. Before each mass resonating in the Noma, the scale was tilted, out of kilter, and then returned to balance. Loftus! called the dark-eyed Cabius. He stood with a number of herbals and waved Loftus down front. Loftus moved past the incoming worshippers and toured the lower benches. He extended his hand and spoke through the crowd buzz. Loftus, your appearance has changed from when you first were abandoned in the caves. Your face is smooth, your bruises healed, and your eyes are opened. My recovery has taken some time. Aided by the Eskas, I hear you have devoted study to the Saber. Yes, I have begun to read the Saber. We need to start working with you and your herbals. Cabius's wide brow furrowed. I have been told by the Eskers not to have you work with us. Why not? They say it is better that you learn the words of Taban Shah. The white-robed man banged his paddle sticks against a variety of metal chimes and a gong down front. Other worshippers in gray robes extinguished the candles and gradually, in eerie quiescence, enveloped the cavern. A Mantarian back began a low-pitched hum. Others in the Noma slowly joined in as darkness fell upon the assemblage. 
Loftus had a deep yearning within the chanting. He joined with the others to resonate with the Tabun Shah. A single flame appeared on the altar, casting a stark and shadowy image of the Esker Greor. Loftus had talked with him many times during his recovery. Another herbal carried a larger version of his clear bunshaf to the center altar. Greor raised his fingertips to his temples. Loftus sensed the inexplicable bonding as he followed Greor's example. Two more eskers joined Greor up front. Praise be to Taban Shah! Praise be to Taban Shah! Let us begin to raise the scale of life. The young Eska, carrying a candle, climbed a spiral stairway to a square box below the scale and above the altar. His hands rose in the air as he spoke. From the time of our past to our future hopes, we turn to you, Tabunshah, for strength to carry on our struggle and raise the scale of life. More candles were lighted on the stage, and the Eskers gazed upward toward the scale, and then they read. From the first millennium, hark to the past and the future and all that is everything. Upon the sight of Tabunshah, from afar flies the fury and the enemy arises. Let us raise the scale of life to the level of the higher being of the Tabunshah, and together we may become a part of all that is. Tabunshah! shouted Grayar. He lifted a red cloth bound book with yellow letters. Again we hear from the Saber and the second millennium. Appears the Suri of Khan to join the people. Lift yourselves from within. March with destiny on your shoulders from your youthful ways. So says the word of Tabun Shah. Praise be to Tabun Shah, shouted the Eskis. Praise be to Tabun Shah. Loftus struggled with the meaning of the ancient words. He had no knowledge, yet he had the urge to speak about a struggle that lay ahead. How could he understand his yearnings or the saber itself? With his fingertips on his temples, Grayer's husky voice echoed throughout the cave. May all the herbals in our gathering resonate with the lost ones. We are all joined as one when our minds become one. It is the foundation of solidarity. Where there is imbalance, there is fear, breeding the inner vengeance. Let us not lose our wholeness with Tabun Shah. Loftus's thoughts and feelings coalesced into a heightened consciousness. The Tolton had eradicated hope and spread the inner vengeance throughout the Azkrans. Without the inner balance of Tabun Shah, the Mead had no foundation for mentary happiness or fulfillment. The Tolton had sowed death and destruction. The other Eskers filtered across the altar. Each Esker took a station at the end of the aisles. Loftus had witnessed the ceremony before, but he had never participated. Cabius and the others mentioned how peace and balance descended upon the mine. Out of curiosity, he followed the others in line. He observed those who were touched at the temples displayed a deeply relaxed, almost intoxicated state as they returned to the benches. As the line edged forward, and as he panned the cave, he realized how far away he was from Earth. The Esker looked into the eyes of a scraggly, white-haired old woman. 
May Tabun Shah stay with you forever. She left with her dark eyes rolled upward. Loftus nudged ahead, uncertain and scared about what would happen to his mind. When the man in front stepped aside, Loftus faced the young Esker and looked into his glazed brown eyes. May Tabun Shah stay with you forever. The Esker placed his fingertips gently against Loftus's temples. The plaguing anxiety vanished. Loftus's muscles tensed and then weakened as he walked gracefully like a boat regaining its buoyancy in water. His mind aligned itself again in balance. And yet an overwhelming destiny encompassed him. He sat on the bench, unaware of his surroundings, as his mind drifted into a deeply relaxed state. He envisioned himself under a thick spread of twinkling stars in a linear reflecting pool, surrounded by the same white slabs from the intergalactic passageway. In his thoughts, he lifted his bunshaft toward the stars. A brilliant beam of red light formed between the bunshaft, the pool, and a towering clear pyramid glistening like ice in the distance. His thoughts returned to the cave as the image slowly dissolved and the sound of the eskers chanting shook the room. Loftus sat quietly, dumbfounded by his new experience. He had not only a renewed confidence in his own plight, but he was drawn into the future with a vision of the pool and the pyramid. Under the balanced scale of life, the herbals left the Noma silently in single file. But Loftus stayed behind and stared at the swirling, colored light now in balance over them all. Cabius looked down. Now you understand the fullness of a mind with Tabun Shah. You have been touched by the truth of the ages. I've, I've never felt this way, replied Loftus. After all this time, what do you think of the word of Tabun Shah now? asked one of Cabius's friends. Loftus inhaled deeply and again felt as if a steady rudder steered his life. This Urkum is fractured. We must all unite and find the Bunshaf along the starlit pool. It is essential for what is to be. The group laughed. Unite? We are in an underground prison fortress. You are taking your resonating literally, Loftus. Loftus did not comprehend why they questioned what the saber was explicitly telling him. For how many thousands of years on this planet have the Mantari repeated the sacred words and prophecies of the Saba? But no one has acted upon those words. What good is a balanced mind without freedom? Several herbals in the aisle stopped and turned. What are you saying? A revolution of the herbals? Exactly. We are a force in number. We must begin by standing up to the Overcore and his soldiers. How can they fight all the herbals? This is a fight for freedom that will spread around the planet. It is a fight for the eternity that is Tabun Shah. Sacrilege, said another man as more herbals gravitated toward the discussion. You call for a fight? asked the herbal behind him. How can we fight? He shook his bony finger at Loftus. And with what weapons do you lead this crusade? We are better off to remain here and be one with Tabun Shah. Loftus stepped onto the bench and faced the gathering crowd. A force within had provoked the discussion, but that same force had given him a surging confidence in what he believed. Truth resided in the word of Tabun Shah and pushed his heart to follow that truth. 
Now is the time. Loftus, said Cabius, looking up. I don't think you know the size of the morgue. The caves extend into areas even I don't know. Every Alcetir has its own leaders, its own Nomer and Eskas. How do you convince them to join your struggle? And just what are you fighting for? Loftus tightened his brow. He thought back to Earth and how freedom had slowly disintegrated. The ability to become what each of us is. The destiny of Taban Shar is freedom. More herbals move closer. Haven't you read the sacred words? Or do you come here every time just to recite those words? Listen to the seers. They warned of the impending doom. The hordes are bent on the destruction of our race with the inner vengeance. And if that inner vengeance triumphs, there will be no oneness, no balance of the scale of life, no fulfillment, no tabun shah. There is no inner vengeance here in the morgue, said Cabius. Let us stop just saying the words. Let us live the words. The only way to stop the inner vengeance is to leave this place. All within the morgue should refuse to comply with the Korobs. And be pitched into the marked fire? shouted Cabius. More herbals around the hall agreed. What you ask puts us all at great peril. Not if you join together. Suicide! cried another voice from in the crowd. Grayor and the other Eskers emerged from behind the red curtains. No! You must listen to him! The chatter within the hall subsided and they turned to Loftus still perched on the bench. He wears the Bunshaf of Tabunshah. Grayer lifted the heavy crimson saber upward. Loftus grasped the edges and opened the rigid gray pages within the flowing handwritten black writing. Loftus visualized the possible arrival of the silver cluster ships and the massive green creatures with their black and blue mesh eyes walking on this very planet. It is time! to search for the lost ones. We must reawaken the oneness to fight the invaders. It is clearly stated in the second millennium. The creature stands ready to devour all. He establishes the death empire. He spreads suffering and destruction. He is the enemy, the destroyer. I tell you, these words are true. I have witnessed their cluster ships in the sky, and I have watched as their weapons kill the innocent. The destroyer kills without feeling, seeking the vengeance from a war fought thousands of years ago. This planet stands divided by the Tolton. The Tolton despises the words of Tabun Shah. I plead with you, we must begin the fight here in the Marg. We must free ourselves and ultimately find Tabunsha. Unite, called Grayer. We must heed the Eska's words, said Cabius. We must listen if they tell us Loftus knows about the ancient yearning. The crowd called for unification and chatter slowly transformed into an ascending crescendo. Unite, unite, unite. 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 Loftus nodded and raised his hands upward. Let our journey start in this very place. Let it spread with all the brave herbals within the morgue. We must bring together our thoughts 
and leave the mines. In great numbers, we will conquer the Ovacor's garrison above. We will once again bring the word of Tabanshah back to the Mantari people, and the Mantari people to Tabanshah. The Mantari will challenge the Tolton and his unbelievers as we search for the Ancient Ones, and we unite all our people against the hordes. Chapter 64. On the forward Nikitim, Elkin studied the Martus and the Arnix speeding with the Aragoster toward the home Urkham. Black forms outlined the position of the Mantari prisoners, and red stars highlighted Sard's position within the Yestic fields. Having the prisoners on the Azakar threatened Sard's plan. Our options are severely diminished, Royk leaned over his Nikitim. So we must see what Jakra does. Waiting will cost us the strategic advantage. We need our alternatives right now. Before the Martus attacks, we could strike, said Royk, and demand the surrender. Not wise. The home Urkham will be upon us. We cannot alert the Echelon by being forced into a full shooter battle. Exactly what Sard wished to avoid. But we may have no choice. Huda, have defensive outposts target the Martus and the Arnic. Charge all shooter reserves. Yes, Margaret. I would not regret the loss of Jacker or Posk, said Elkin, standing. In either scenario, we will all be accused of treason. Sard sensed the Martus slowing for Urkham orbit. They would transport him inside the Yestic fields to the Echelon Towers. He gazed at the inferiors in the cage across the dimly lit room. Each of them was implanted with sufficient ardent charge to destroy an amperage Azakar, but Elkin would not make a move on the Matus while the Arnic had no inferiors. Sard was irritated when the inferiors shut down their systems and lapsed into an unconscious state. Once awake, they taunted him in their inferior language. Sard shouted from the Yestic. Listen to Sard. Sard has decimated all but two of your miserable Urkums. You will find your precious Tabun Shah. Your saber is a lie. You are cowards. Cowards. Your skulls will reside in Sard's death empire aboard his vessel. The light-skinned little creatures exposed their tiny white teeth. Sard fought to remove himself from his self-imposed restraint in the Yestic. Into the corridor, five selverts from the Martus moved a portable black cube atop three wheels. We have been ordered to prepare you for a flight to the upper echelon towers, Bargat Garmin. Side will submit, but he never forgets those who have betrayed him. We have our orders. Orders have consequences, Selvert. The Selverts positioned the cube adjacent to the Yestic controller. They activated their own fields and dragged Sard across the room as the Inferius continued badgering Sard. By now, the upper echelon would follow his every move. Outside in the portal bays, Jakra stood near the shuttle Azakar, but did not pay homage to Sard's arrival. So, the Vargat Garmin is here. Are you doing the echelon's bidding, Jakra? asked Sard. My orders are to bring you to the Echelon Chambers. Sard will make you a bargain in his amperage. Your career and your life are over. As you blindly follow their stagnant leadership, you too have become part of that stagnation. Bring the Vargat Garmin to the Shuttle Azakar. 
You will beg Sard for your life after what you have done. Sard memorized their faces and would kill everyone at the earliest opportunity. As they moved him toward the shuttle Azakar, he realized his misjudgment with the inferior prisoners might cost him his own life. Death did not frighten him, but the thought of the upper echelon leadership left his fangs fully exposed as everyone approached the shuttle and prepared to leave for the home Merkham. Sard saw the complex, the echelon tower cluster, puncturing the feather clouds as a symbol of the power he would soon possess. Yet he envisioned the lower levels of the Urkham, widening downward to a well-trodden path into the darkened homeland surface. The hanging clouds, green at that level, and persistent mist had shielded the Ankitas in the villages from the Azos's deadly Pequa. He longed to walk along the spindly heister roots spreading in the murky waters. Now Sard arrives home. Is he to be routinely tortured or killed on sight? The indifferent Jackrow remained up front and did not acknowledge his words. You are a coward, Jackrow. You could never fight Sard on his own terms. Sard assures you, before the roar has ended, your body will be as cold as deep as space and be hurled from the echelon towers to an instant death below. Your words are meaningless, Sard, he said without turning. Your power is gone. Remember your words against Sard when you are falling through the clouds, my dear friend. Chapter 65 Elkin studied the well-lit tactical Nikitim as the shuttle Azakar locked in place at the tower entry. Huta activated a visual scan of the flat plane in the shadow of the pointed cluster towers. Selvitz, armed with shooters, raced through the bay openings and surrounded the shuttle Azakar. Elkin looked up at Roik. The time has come. Your orders, Vargat. You will contact the outpost reserves on the new shielded frequency designed by our Rupacons. Implement offensive jab pattern. All reserves at full charge in direct target location. And that location, Vargat? On the tactical... The Azakar entry opened, and a group of Selvits moved a portable yestick down the ramp. Many confused Selvits fell in homage as Sard appeared suspended. Look, they are still loyal to Sard. Elkin studied the home Urkham's green curvature and then faced Roik in the tactical light. You will target the home Urkham, Roik. The home Urkham. It will be done, Varget. Huta, said Elkin. Prepare all amperage Azakars to implement same jab pattern. It will be done, Vargat Elkin. Reich, the Mantari Arden devices will be detonated on my order. Lock all shooters on the Matus for immediate destruction. It will be done, Vargat. The surrounding Selvits, like insects in an insect army, dragged the suspended Sard into the tower base. Another image on Elkin's Nakedum caught the entourage moving across the massive blue-girded base into the inner Thassians. Alkin remembered the many times Sard had returned in glory to these very bays after victories in the Mantari campaigns. After having personally driven the enemy off the home Urkham and defeated them at Galga, Sard had marched through the Azakar base to the adulation of Creods, falling in homage to the very Thassian where they now transported him under high security.
Near the entry port, Ayak scampered across the screen and joined Frond in the outer chambers. Bachak was not visible as the two upper echelon leaders entered the Thassian. Elkin sympathized with Sard's accusations of echelon complacency as he stared at the two leaders waiting in silence. Defensive reserves are all targeted at the echelon towers, Bargat, said Roik. Elkin spoke in a low but clear voice. How little do they know their fate? The Thassian's red light brightened as Jackra strutted out ahead of the others. Bocek would arrive shortly. Sard's image slowly emerged from the crimson Thassian beams. We thank you, Vargat Jackra, said Fran. We thank you for bringing this traitor to the upper echelon. Sard, now fully within the echelon tower's cold light, extended his fangs. Do not speak of traitorous acts, Frond, when you and your cohorts threaten the sanctity and security of the realm. I warn you, Sard, said Jackra, turning with no fear. You are speaking to a member of the upper echelon. Use respect or I will restrain your speech. Respect? Sard has no respect for these cowards. Then I will deny your speech. No! said Ayak. Let the Vargat say what he has to say. Fraun moved closer as if he were studying a captured inferior in a cage. Yes, I would like to know why you threaten the realm. Oh, how the meek are outspoken when the omnipotent cannot fight back. Sard's upper lip vibrated. Sard is the only power in the realm, and only Sard can lead us to a greater destiny. Sard will destroy the remaining Manitari Urkums. He will maintain and expand the realm until the Creods control the Humea. Treason! shouted Bachek as he stepped through the parting port doors. He stormed across the dark floor, his fangs visible, and personally pushed away Salvitz as he grabbed the Yestic levers. Treason demands torture! Let the torture begin! Sard's body jolted in pervasive pain. Somehow he contained the excruciating pain. What is wrong with this field? It is at full intensity, Emnus, said Jakra, joining him. He is fighting it, said Bachok, still gripping the gold control levers. It will do you no good, Sard. This is only the beginning. You will wish for a quick death, yet your death will be prolonged, and all will see you for the traitor that you are. Let them file past your body and inflict their own anger upon you. Fran timidly stepped back as the pain rippled throughout Sard's inner shell. When you die, your body will be preserved for generations to see. They will realize the threat you were to our people. Jackra's fram beeped and Bachak pulled it away with his grasper. Amnes, Margaret Elkin wishes to speak with you. Display his image! said Bachak, glancing at Sard's titan shell. Elkin watched the chambers form, but he did not pay homage. Bachak's upper lip quivered. Elkin, as future Bargard Garmin, we commend your loyalty. We wish your presence in the Echelon Towers. It will not be done, Emnes, replied Elkin sternly. Nor do I think you will be so elated once you hear what we must do. Elkin, your words are confusing said Bachak. You will release the Vargar Garmin at once and exchange all power within the realm to him. 
This is a false pretense, said Barchak as he glared at Elkin's image. This is no false pretense, Barchak. All defensive outposts are ready at my order to unleash their reserves on the home planet. You have no authority to implement this. Barchak's fangs slowly protruded from his mouth. You are behaving like a demented swamp dweller. Right, shouted Alkin, glancing over his shoulder. Sard's voice was strained. See, he has the power. Open all outpost shooters, added Alkin. Outpost shooters are patterned on the echelon towers, Vargas, said Roik in the background. Good, Roik, good, whispered Sard. Alert buzzers sounded in the echelon offices, and the hidden control panel suddenly popped out from behind walls. Sard's upper lip twitched as yellow warning lights flashed. This is a fabrication, said Bochak. He bounced between the chamber station panels. You have manufactured all this. Right. Destroy the Matus, ordered Elkin. Wait, cried Jack and he rushed toward Elkin's image. My Azekar cannot withstand an outpost reserve attack. On the panel Nakedums, the Martus orbited smoothly around the edge of the home Urkham. Huge green shooter bolts cut the starry sky and tore apart the outer hull. Debris fanned outward from a brilliant orange fireball. The explosion slowly dissipated and chunks of the Azakar tumbled across the orbital plane. What have you done? shouted Bochek. Release the Vargas garment or the Arnak is next. We have defensive reserves on the Merkham. Use them, use them, shouted Jakra. Bachak leaned over the tactical and spoke in a lower voice. They do indeed have all the outpost reserves trained on us at an unknown frequency. Which would render the whole Merkham's reserves useless, said Frond. Why have you aligned yourself with this traitor? I will not answer any questions. Release the bargain garment. Give him what he wants, said Ayak. Bachak, we are in no position to bargain. Give me options, Jakra, give me options. He has no options, said Sard. You will all die if you do not comply with his request. Sard is not afraid to die, are you? Jakra, demanded Bachak, banging his grasper forcefully. Right, destroy the Arnix, said Alkin. More alarms echoed in the chambers. Bachok shielded his matrixes from another bright flash. Give us help, Jackra! I have no answers. They have the power. Bachok leaped away from his Nakedum. You will halt your aggression, Elkin, or I will kill Sard. Sard is not afraid to die. Destroy the home Urkum, Elkin. Elkin said his grasping appendages on the Icean Nakedum. The burden, Bachok, is on your shoulders. What will it be? Bachok grasped the rester and hurled it against the open window span. With exposed fangs, he backed across the room and motioned the other echelon members toward the door. Release him! Jakra stood frozen as all three upper echelon members ran from the room. To release him is certain death! Release Sard, said Elkin. Jacker and the remaining Selvitz exited the room. Elkin quickly faced Sard. Can you reach the lever, Sard? It will take time, said Sard, stretching his appendages as the pain pierced his shell. Send your Selvitz, Elkin. Seal the towers. 
Centaurs are landing now, Barger Garmin. Time diminished like a slow descent toward an Urkham as Sard pushed against his jestic. His long appendage graspers neared the two gold levers, but he could not break through. Each slender grasper shook as the fields threatened to burst his internal body shell. He growled and finally touched the edge. Then he knocked both levers back. The fields fell away and he hit the floor. He lay motionless, but soon staggered across the chamber. For a moment he held the port doors to maintain his consciousness. The Thassian's intense light spilled across the corridor. A Selvig contingent marched Jocker and the upper echelon members forward. Still breathing rapidly, Sard approached. So you challenge Sard. Are you mad? cried Bocek. Silence! You will pay homage to Sard. All but Bocek fell to the tiles. Sard admires your bravery. I do not take orders from a Creod obsessed with a dead race. Sard tightened his graspers around Bocek's throat and lifted the upper echelon leader upward. You expose the realm to great peril with your words. You will ruin the realm, said Bocek through a choked air passage. Sard sunk his fangs into Bocek's neck. Then he used both graspers to hurl the echelon leader against the solid corridor wall. Bocek's shell smacked loudly and he bounced motionless onto the floor. Sard's upper lip twitched as he turned toward Jakra, now subservient on his knees. Bring this traitor to the top of the towers. Yes, Bargat Garmin. They lifted Jakra upward. I beg you, Sard, spare me! You will be treated as you treated Sard. The upper air current swept swiftly across the gritty surface. With his graspers, Sard shoved Jakra into the cold air. The disloyal Vargat stumbled toward the edge rail above the clouds. Sard, I will serve you, I will! Sard rewards loyalty and is not served by traitors. Jakra stared at the cloud puffs below. Sard, I will do anything for you! Sard warned you before the roar had ended. Your body would be as cold as deep space as you fell from the Echelon Towers. Please, Sard! Sard let his upper lip vibrate as he lifted Jakra's body upward and waddled toward the rail. As Jakra pleaded, Sard let him dangle over the rail. Oh, mighty one, see your fate below. View the tragedy of your miserable existence. Save me, Sard! The wind whipped against Sard's matrixes. How do you wish to serve, Sard? Whatever the bargain garment wants me to do. You can serve Sard best by dying. Sard released his graspers and Jakra dropped toward the clouds. His pleas for mercy merged with the winds and his form, now a black diminished dot, disappeared into the convoluted mass. Sard turned toward his selvets. Let us continue from Golga and take what is rightly ours. Let the reign of Sard begin! Chapter 66 A heavy fog crept across the swamp's sinewy heistia trees and stagnant pools, leaving an unmistakable warm mist over Sard's shell. He climbed the tree's grasper roots from the water and stood alone in the heistia grove. The trees existed before his birth and would survive his death. 
He meditated here in the roar of his beginnings. Even with fame, he returned after the great Mantari battles, always remembering the land of his birther. He jumped several root clusters until the dirt road appeared in the tall grasses. In the dim light, the Ankita's hut poles jutted upward from the dried mud grass roof. He leaped onto the red dirt and marched toward the Ankita of his beginnings. In only a few desics, high above the clouds in the Echelon Assembly Hall, he would accept the title of Varganemnus. Such stature could not detract from the reality of the last two Mantari Urkums orbiting Azos's somewhere within the Humea. The legacy and the mystery of the Taban Shah followed him everywhere. All the inferiors deserved death, he thought, as he stared at the caked mud hut. He visualized the inferiors as they once walked on this very road and killed innocent members of his race. He stepped along the path to the framed grassy door and pushed it open. Poiked, his legs still crippled from the occupation attacks, drank with anchor from scullard shells at the center table. Ever since Anka was a Varget, he had enjoyed a deep friendship with Sard's birther. The two Creods were unaware Sard had entered the Yankita. Such behavior on the Aragosta would constitute a death offense. Sard has returned. Ah, Sard, said Poiked. You have been in the swamp for some time. He bears the burden of the Tabun Shah, said Anka. Why do you worry, Sard? They cannot elude you forever. Sard believes their saber. They will hide until the Surya of Khan has arrived. Then they will spring upon us like a Dvorkian swamp catcher. Poik's matrixes brightened. A healthy respect is good, but no one is invincible. We once thought they were a peaceful race, said Anka. Long before I was a Varget, the Tabun Shah had diplomatic emissaries within the realm. Highly evolved, but benign and caught up in their own advancement. We even negotiated a non-attack treaty with them. Which they broke, shouted Sard. Hid their Azakars from us before they attacked our possessions. I would have ordered a pattern attack if I knew what they were doing, said Anchor. Sard does not blame you, Anchor. He banged his grasper on the table. They brought on the war with their surprise raids. Anka dimmed his matrixes and seemed to look back in time. We had only 35 Urkums then, and after all the outer areas fell, a full-scale war developed. Sard was a pro-asker of his own Azakar. But where is their home, Urkum? Where is the Surya of Karn, and when will he fight? They have not forgotten what Sard did to them at Galga, and how they fled into the Pequa disruption. And now, with the upper echelon gone, Sard will now tell you what he found at the home Urkum's location. Pequa disruption? The Pequa surges were beyond reason, displacing time and space. Sard was sworn not to release the reports. Poit struggled to stand. Why? Such power might cause Selvitz to doubt our superiority. Perhaps the Taban Shah retreated to another Humea. How do we fight an emperor that can travel by us? asked Anka. Tark believed that they were trapped. 
Tark's loss has been great, said Poigt. I grieve for him since his death on Althashar. I vow revenge for his death. You will have it, said Sard. Sard remembered the same type of Pequor readings on his Nakedums, but on a smaller scale. Tark had ventured inside the clear monolith, Boonsharf, when a Selvet unleashed a shooter reserve, destroying it. We must look ahead, said Poik. Tark will always be in my thoughts. But you are about to be crowned as Vargad Emnes. Never was I so honored. It has been a long road for you, Sard, to fulfill your destiny. Chapter 67 Sard wore the ancient scaly green replica, impenetrable to westics and sharp weapons. The large Nakedim screen showed the assembly hall under a magenta dome and filled with triads representing all the realm's urkums and outposts. Sard's command order stated the rest of the realm watch and listen on connected contacts. They would understand the change in power, leaving him unchallenged as bargain emnis of the realm. A carved throne, retrieved from the Emnis River region, sat on a flat mantle above the Creods below. The smooth red cape worn by Emnis Gatek, as well as the military metallic insignias and headdress of the Alpok after the Battle of Hanzo, rested on the throne. Bargard Garmin, said Roy, as he approached from behind. Yes, Roy, you may rise. Royk stood and held out his Nikitim. Additional Azakars have left the Outer Urkums as you requested. Boosted Frams have been placed on board. These Azakars will use their tacticals to scan the skies for inferiors or any unusual Pequa surges or displacements. Defensive Capacities Defensive outposts have returned to normal reserve status. Salvard advanced forces are fortifying the outer areas as you have ordered. Sard's first task is to fortify the realm. More Azakars will be built for eventual battle with the Tabumshah. What about Frond and Ayak? Ready for public extinction and placement in the Death Empire. No one challenges Sard. Keep them in the Yestics until Sard is ready for them. Yes, Vargat Garmin. Soon I will call you Vargat Emnes. Sard nodded in his matrix scanned the Nakedum. Music makers were already sounding battle calls from antiquity throughout the Catafici pipes. Within the bellowing tones, he felt the fulfillment of his own destiny. Dignitaries and Urkham leaders were seated below the mantle as blue and green flag-bearing marches started up the long aisle at the far end of the assembly. Request you in the procession, said one of the protocol selvits. Sard is ready. The main procession will move forward and you will be behind the amperage Vargas when they enter the hall. Sard sees their faces. They await their Vargard endless. Roy looked directly into his matrixes. They will worship you, Vargat Garmin, and this will be a war never forgotten in the history of the realm. Other festins joined the Catafici and sent string melodies across the hall. Sard waited in silence near the Vargats as young Creods in bright tribal robes and dangling silver chains chanted the long-forgotten battle cries. Tall banners with jingling bells attached to side poles preceded the Vargats' march. 
Sard's long-molded westick swayed as he stepped into the aisle in the blue light. Selvets guarding the arch entrance fell to their knees in his presence, and the developing cheer roared like a wave across the hall. The Vargats marched with the drumbeat as metal horns sounded praise from the mantle. Creods humbled themselves in homage when he passed. Sard thought of Tark as he gazed above the dome. The music stopped and only the combined sounds of boots against the solid floor echoed in the hall. Sard approached the Vargats seated above and stepped onto the mantle stairs. Battle tapestries were draped above. He climbed slowly as the Selvets held his headdress and faced the kneeling minister of protocol. The minister stood and faced the assemblage when Sard was positioned before the throne. The protocol minister's singular voice reverberated over the crowd. Sard, Supreme Vargard Garmin of the realm of the Urkums. Catafici began a mournful tribal song from a time before travel to the stars. In the murky light, Sard scanned the creods in the hall as the cantor alluded to the warrior's willingness to die in battle for the endless survival. The complete desire to rid the Humea of all Mantari and find the Tabun Shah dwelled in Sard's thoughts. He was convinced the words of the Saber predicting the rise of the Suri of Khan were true. The melancholy rendition ended, intense lights now blazed across the mass, and the abulation shook the hall. For the first time he sensed the magnitude of the gathering, and made no attempt to thwart the praise. The upper lights dimmed and only the mantle remained lighted, but the demonstration ceased when Elkin climbed the mantle steps. He fell in homage until motioned upward. In a gesture of supreme humility, not to Alkin, but to the title of Emnis, Sard descended to his knees. Alkin lifted the smooth battle helmet, inscribed with the detailed engravings of ancient battles, and slid the helmet over Sard's matrixes. Sard meditated before standing. He moved to the high-backed Heistia throne, woven with metallic threads and inlaid with relics from past glories. Elkin's voice boomed outward when Sard sat and held the massive heistier arms. I give you, Sard, Varget, Emnus. Sard rubbed his graspies along the polished heistier as they cheered. He made no attempt to stop the jubilation. When he stood, the thundering slowly subsided. From the ancient tribal wars, before the whole Urkel was unified, the Creods had yearned for leadership. In the ancient times, the tribal Emnus led his forces into battle with glory and honor. Nothing stands in the way of a Creod Selvan except victory! Elzer, Bizakam, Lamarcus knew this well when they forged the Creod devotion to victory. The inferiors who do not understand this will suffer the wrath of the realm. Let them fall. The room shook again, and he stared at the battered upper echelon members suspended in the estics. Sard motioned the selvets forward. Frond and Ayak pleaded for mercy as the fields were moved onto the mantle. Sard strutted from the throne and stood over all three creods. I beg of you, Sard said Fron, one of his matrixes swollen beyond recognition. I will serve you, no matter how much pain and humiliation I must endure. 
Ayak reached out his appendage. Spare me, Side, spare me. Side will spare only those who deserve sparing, and those who have been loyal to him. You have challenged the ultimate power in the Humair. Now that power, he said, removing his westick from its sheath, will be the instrument of your destruction. Side dragged the cold blade along Fawn's thin green neck and slowly pushed the sharp edge through the outer shell. Fran screamed for mercy, but Sard inserted the blade into his neck, positioning it away from the saurine vessel, close enough to the nerves to cause severe pain. Prolonging the agony prompted outbursts from the hall. Yellow saurine trailed Fran across the mantle. How brave are you now, Fran? Sard tightened the grip on his westick, swung it back, and hacked the former upper echelon leader's head off his body. He slid his saurine-covered westick in its sheath and bent over and hoisted Franz's head into the air. As they roared in delight, he hurled the head into the assembly. He quickly removed his westick again and used basic battle tactics to clip Ix, grasping and walking appendages. The loss of body fluid killed him rapidly. Sard walked briskly up to Bachek. The leader of the upper echelon's fangs were fully exposed, but he said nothing as he stared at Sard. Sard will not kill you. He turned to the Selvitz. Release Bachek from the Estex. Bachek collapsed onto the floor. You wanted Sard tortured at your own means. You have shown great courage. Bachek's voice wavered. Thank you, Margaret Emnes. I will always be in your debt, he said as the Selvitz lifted his body upward and started down the mantle stairs. Sard will not kill you. He will leave that up to those you left undefended. Kill him! Kill him! Bocek was thrown forward and the Selvitz scrambled away from the encroaching crowd. An angry cluster of Kriogs surrounded Bocek, ripped and tore apart his body. Sard would have enjoyed the killing himself and empathized with them as they removed the body parts as souvenirs. The Creods have spoken. Power will be taken away from those who do not see the threats to the realm. Let this be the lesson. Sard reigns as the Vargard Empress and rules the realm. All challenges will be met with equal force. Let the ceremony begin. With the mantle clear to the remains of the upper echelon, Sard listened to the numerous loyalty pledges from prostrated creods as the Catafici produced new joyful sounds of victory. He stood where a young creod carried the crown of Yuritech, studded with gems from around the home Urkum. Elkin removed Sard's headdress and set it on the side table. He grasped the raised crown and fell in homage. Homage to Sard, Vargard Emnus of the realm! The Vargard Emnus accepts the defeat of the operation. All the realm submits to Sard. All the realm submits to Sard, ruler and conqueror, said the young Creod. The Selvert smashed a square, ancient metal gong, signaling the death of a prominent Creod. Elkin stood and faced Sard. You are now Sard, Emnus of the realm. We humble ourselves before you. Sard returned to his throne and let his matrixes pulse over the Selvix as additional mantari were dragged into an enclosed area on the mantle. Their bewildered expressions only demonstrated their extreme inferiority. 
Behind the gates, a five-horned, slimy, black Canartarsic reared its tiny head. Sard still bore the scar from encounters with the Karnar's blade teeth. He had barely survived the attack, but the inferiors would have no chance against the Karnar. With the Mantari inside the ring, the Karnar was released through the slotted sliding gates. The animal tilted its head upward and its beady yellow eyes darted before focusing on the prisoners. The inferior scampered around the fence, and Sarad's upper lip vibrated as the hall called for the Karnar to attack. It scurried in the dirt, created a small dust cloud, and raced forward with its horns dipped. A retreating inferior was caught in the back, and the swamp animal lumbered across the dirt. It shook the inferior loose, and its body hit the ground. The Karnar sunk its teeth into the inferior's trunk, chewing through like a powerful shooter and easily bore the inferior's head in appendages. The Karnar's wide tongue wiped away the additional soaring and it turned toward the hunkering group across the room. Royk, carrying a small Nikita, appeared from the side and fell in homage before Sard. I am sorry, Vargadamus. Rise, I would not approach you at this moment unless I bear news of great importance. You will tell Sard what you have heard. A voice contact from your hours, Tark. I have it in my Nikita. Sard slowly stood and focused on Royk's fluctuating blue and black matrixes. Tark, Sard's hours was killed inside the monolith on Eltashar. This is a trick played on Sard. The contact has been authenticated. Where does this contact originate? Yes, sir. Is he still on Elthashar? And our Rupercons are not exactly sure where he is, but he mentioned crossing an ocean created between the Urkums. Sard's matrixes flooded as he moved with Royk away from the throne. As he descended the stairs and the games continued in the arena, he remembered the prophecies mentioned in the Sabre. When they were near an opening to the lower levels, he turned toward Royk. The Tabon Shar used this ocean to travel. Sard understands now. Perhaps they are hiding on that ocean. The Rubicons think the monolith was a departure point, said Royk. They slipped into a dimly lit corridor away from the hall. The power to connect Urkums, yet they are still defeated. We must find this ocean my Awas speaks of. Royk pushed his grasper onto the Nakedim and Tark's voice, faint and distorted, filled the corridor. Rhizome to an advancing but primitive Mantari Urkum. I have crossed the vast ocean of Pequa on a ship propelled in colorful ways I do not understand. The Mantari Urkum contains a natural Pequa source. I remain in a cave hidden from this civilization and have used components from my shooter and Nakedim to construct a contact device. My plan is simple. It will take time because I am alone. I will conquer these inferiors by converting Piqua I have found into a Piqua flow. More contacts will follow. 1957 reefs have passed in their time. The Yurkum is called Earth. Long live the realm. Sard focused on the Nakedon. Tark has discovered one of the two remaining Yurkums and unlocked the secret of Tarban Shar's banishment. We must find this ocean of Piqua or at least the source of my Awas's contact. Signals can only be traced so far across the Humeir of Argot Emnes. Thunderous and raucous stomping shook the hall, but Sard stared at the Nakedim. One Creod taking on an entire Urkum. 
How could the Tabin Shah have constructed such an ocean? Sard never underestimates the Tabin Shah. Sard will find this Mantari Earth and use the Pequa Sea to find the Tabin Shah. You will have the Rupacons create a Flukosark and boost all deep contacts within the Humea. Yes, Varganemnus. Elkin will be summoned for immediate meetings. More Azakars will be needed for the journey to Mantari Earth. Whether Sard travels the Humea or he sails their ocean. Once Sard helps his Awas conquer this Montari Earth, he will search the Pequa Sea for the Tabun Shah. A battle, Vargadendis? Yes, Reich. Inevitably, Sard will face the Suryaf Khan in the final battle. Loftus is having trouble understanding how the Mantari of thousands of years in the past could predict events in the future. But he is changing. He's reached out to this mysterious Tabun Shah, and somehow he feels different, part of a greater good. But where are the Tabun Shah? As for Sard, he has conquered and killed the upper echelon. He is in search of Tabun Shah now, who may have disappeared into another dimension. Sard is crowned in a magnificent ceremony until there is word from his brother on a faraway signal from another Mantari planet. I'm Robert P. Fitton, watching Sard get crowned in a magnificent ceremony. I'll be back next week for Episode 5 of Sojourn, the Vargat Emnes. Good evening. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com and here's a real nifty factoid you can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com just type in robert p fitten thank you and good night